Welcome to Think Like a Dog podcast, where we explore dog behavior and psychology-based training to help your dog achieve their full potential. Welcome back to Think Like a Dog podcast. And today we have Easton here with us, and we're going to talk about productive play. We briefly talked about it in previous episodes, uh, specifically the one where we talked about exercising your dog. And today we're just going to go more in depth about playing with your dog and how that can be more productive because the the whole time you are playing with your dog, believe it or not, you are having a conversation and that's, you know, either going to build your relationship or it's, you know, going to teach your dog some bad behaviors. So um, can you guys go more in depth about that and what it means to have a productive play with your dog? Yeah, I think we always say uh, our dogs are learning from us all the time. Um, play is a pretty big conversation because it's usually without um, some structure to it. A pr- it can be a pretty intense conversation and a very like high energy conversation. Um, so sometimes if we're not uh, adding rules and structure to the games we're playing with our dogs, they might be learning some behaviors we aren't really aware of. Absolutely. It's like you can it's another thing where it can build your relationship or slowly break it down. Um, You know, everybody will play with their dog. And most of the time, what you said, Easton, it gets pretty intense and we accept behaviors that most of the time in any other setting we would not accept, but they're learning that those behaviors in that moment when it's really, really intense are okay. And nothing changes, right? They, you get to continue playing. So they're getting kind of rewarded for those really negative behaviors, like jumping on you or mouthing at you, things like that. Now, you know, we obviously play is going to be intense at some points, but, you know, if you're doing productive play, if you're looking at that situation of like, you know, we're going to party together, but we're, you're going to learn something or there are actually still boundaries here, you can be teaching your dog how to remain respectful in a really exciting situation simply through playing. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's my favorite part about it is it's such a relationship builder. And so people are, are, I feel like, I don't know, you tell me if you get this Easton, I get a lot of people looking for that, that time where you get to just not be training, right? Where you, um, there are no rules. There are just, the dog gets to be quote unquote a dog. Um, and most of the time they do that while they're playing. So they'll just be throwing the ball back and forth or they'll be running around roughhousing. But those times are, are the times where training, I mean, is actually the most valuable, right? You're, you're having fun with your dog while you're also teaching them something. And obviously, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that there's never a time where you're not training your dog, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And I think the important part of that too is when we are teaching that off switch and that ability to control the energy, that skill is so translatable to every other aspect of their existence too, you know, the walk in the house. It's all learning that ability to control energy is so useful in every other aspect too. Yeah. The whole purpose of, you know, trying to teach your dog calm is to be able to have a conversation with them and teach them a different way to react to their environment, to different things that are going on around them, different, you know, stimulations and and such. So that is the whole, you know, purpose of the psychology-based training is to teach your dog calm. And you guys always talk about that. And like you said, a lot of people don't think that productive play is a thing and it's going to translate into different areas of your dog's life. Uh, A lot of our fosters that Easton actually worked with, she's gotten um, our, you know, really active, hyperactive dogs lately. And they all have these like huge personalities, little dogs with huge personalities <laughs> and they love to play. So one of them was actually uh, biscuit and biscuit came to us from, you know, he had, he was with some, a family that couldn't take care of him. And their main complaint about biscuit was that he was hyperactive. They said he was never standing still. He was always running around Uh, So much so that they kept him outside. So Biscuit lived most of his life in a backyard and he's a little dog. And, um, you know, all because the family blamed his hyperactive personality. They said they couldn't 
tame him. He was wild. Like he, they couldn't even, you know, grab him for a picture. I asked him for a picture when we were getting, <laughs> you know, more information about his rescue. Cause I had no idea what biscuit looked like. They had like a really blurry picture online and that was that. And he was behind a fence. So I couldn't even tell how this dog, how big he was, if he was healthy, you know, they, they didn't share much information other than he is really hyper. That's it. Like they said, he's a really hyper dog. He needs to play all the time. So I asked her for a picture and she said, well, he's kind, he's kind of weird to catch. So, uh, oh, he's kind of hard to catch. He's wiggly. <laughs> like she said, he's wiggly or whatever. <laughs> She's, she used some funny word. And I was like, you can't make this dog sit still for one second so you could just yeah. nap a picture. And she's right. like, well, I'm going to try my best, but I can't, you know. So her main um, complaint was his, you know, activity level was so high. And then when Easton started to work with him, her the entire time she was with him, she was having a conversation with him. She was teaching him how to be calm, even in the play style. You know, it was never just let's go in the yard and throw the ball around. There is a conversation there. And this dog completely shifted in about two he weeks. Really like he was, he turned into a different dog. Um, and that was a dog that could understand what you're asking from him. He proved how smart he was and he wanted that guidance. Like our dogs, they want to be told what to do. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people think what we talk about and, and we do talk a lot about teaching the dogs to be calm and accessing a neutral state of mind, but we aren't naive enough to think that that is that being calm is uh, going to be a hundred percent of the time, nor is it healthy to be just chill a hundred percent of the time. That's not um, reality, right? So productive play works on, yeah, we can party together. We can get excited together, but we still have to be respectful. Um, so it's working on how to make sure that there are boundaries at a higher level intensity. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you did. You focused probably 70 to percent of the time with biscuit on teaching him how to turn off before you ever taught him how to play. But a lot yeah. of people will do the opposite where they get a high energy dog in or potentially, and I, I hear this a lot, a high energy breed, uh, and they will turn that high energy into a hyperactivity, right? So high energy is, is bred. That's your working dogs. That's, that's in their DNA. Hyperactivity is learned. And, and a lot of times people that come into the center saying, I can't keep up with my dog. You know, they're the high energy, high energy, high energy. They're not, they're, they're hyperactive because they've been taught that there's always going to be something to do and that, you know, it can become often neurotic where it's just, I mean, it, it did with Max for a little while, the ball, the Kong ball, it can be just drop it at your feet, throw it, drop it at your feet, throw it. That's not healthy play. That's neurotic play. That's what we're trying to work against. And it's also not solving anything. Your dog might get tired for 20 minutes after and then wake back up expecting you to throw the ball again. So productive play, it, it works on how to be respectful, but also how to problem solve, how to, um, you know, work together to solve a problem. It's, it's one of the more bonding things that we can do with our dogs. We're all about to get an Amber alert. Amber alert. Yeah. <laughs> it's a test. Oh, it's a test. It's an, everybody yeah. in the cold country is getting an Amber alert. Oh my right gosh. Now. Um, but so can you guys go more in depth about how is, the productive play <laughs> for two two different play styles that are really common, which is the fetch and the tug. Like, how would you do Everybody a productive play with fetch? Like, can you describe how that would look like? Do you want me to do fetch and I'll do, and, and you do tug? You do more tug than deal uh, than I do. Yeah. Um, so with fetch, a lot of times the the thing that will happen is, like I said, it becomes neurotic. It becomes like this dog. Um, going into prey drive because that's what your dog is doing when they're playing fetch is they're in prey drive. They're chasing something. Um, it becomes just something that isn't, it's a pattern, right? It's not something that involves you at all. You can turn fetch into um, a productive way, a productive exercise in a lot of different ways. What I do with Kemper is I'll put a leash on him. Now, sometimes he doesn't need a leash, but at the very beginning, absolutely put a leash on your dog, ask them to stay next to you, say, wait, throw the ball, um, and then have them go and get the ball. 
if they are very ball driven, they will work to find that ball. And one of my favorite, all time favorite things to do is to do that exact thing, but throw the ball in like some tall grass or all the way at the back of my backyard. So that Kemper has to look for it and truly smell around for it. That works his brain a lot more. Another thing that I'll do is I will practice recall off of the ball, um, either mid chase or while he's still looking for it to make sure that even when he's at his most intense state of mind, he is still able to come back when I call him. That's how I get a really good recall on a dog is through productive play by, by building up something that they are really, really motivated by asking them to go get it. And then in the middle of that, asking them to come back to me, that lets me know, are we, are you going to come back to me? If there's ever a squirrel, are you going to come back to me? If you see a dog across the street, if you can, I mean, if I can call Kemper off of a ball, I can call Kemper off of anything. But that's also for a dog who's very ball motivated. Now, you said hold the dog next to you. And that is keeping the the leash on them and just kind of holding them there and then letting it go. Are you saying a word like stay? Like you throw the ball? I say, say wait stay. before I throw wait. the ball because there are some times where I will let him just go for it without waiting. So I make sure that there's a difference between when I'm wanting him to stay by my side and when I'm okay with him just going and chasing it. Uh, So I'll say, wait, throw the ball. Sometimes he'll try to go for it still, but I have him on a leash. He has to look at me organically give me eye eye contact organically. So without me saying his name, without me doing anything before I release him. And when I release him, I started um, even before I started like throwing the ball in tall grass or somewhere where he would have to find it. Instead of saying, okay, I, I release him with the words, find it. So that, that way that command can be um, used in other scenarios. I think it's important too. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think it's important too, for that when they're next to you waiting, it's not like you just have pressure on the leash the whole time either. It's it's a decision on their end. It's not that you're just holding them there with pressure. Um, The pressure's off until they make the decision to either go or wait. Yeah. I also wouldn't even start that. Like I wouldn't even do that exercise unless I could walk. um, I could walk Kemper in one hand and have the ball in my other hand and have him not going for the ball. Mm -hmm. So, So a lot of times if your dog is crazy toy motivated and you're like, you can't play with your dog safely, start there, start with impulse control around the ball. Don't start with like, um, you know, asking them to not chase the ball when it's thrown. Start with, can I walk you past the ball on the ground? Can I pick up the ball and, and put it back on the ground without you going for it? Start really small because you can get, especially if you're like using a slip lead or something and you, you know, you're, you're not holding it correctly. You can get rope burn on your hand if your dog just takes off like that. Um, so start small, build up from there. But I mean, uh, I think for both fetch and tug, I would say start small, especially if your dog is crazy motivated um, by a ball or a tug toy. But do you mm-hmm. want to talk about tug? Now, yeah. With, with, the, with the actual, you know, starting small, a lot of people feel like they have to play fetch. They have to get their dogs running around like crazy. Because their dogs are telling them that, to, that, <laughs> that they have to. Yeah. And they feel like, okay, I need, I need a yard. I need them to run. Like this needs to happen. I need to go to the dog park. We need that exercise so I can tire them out. And doing starting small and having them on a leash and walking them and working on your walk, then working to walk past distractions, that is even better than letting your dog run around in an open field with no recall, with no structure. Um, you know, can you guys talk more about that too, about... When you start small, that is actually an exercise for your dog and it is going to tire them out because they're having to think about what they're doing and they have to understand what you want from them. Yeah, I think it's the kind of argument of quality over quantity Um, with that exercise specifically. And we talk about the walk a lot, too. If you're struggling with the walk, um, start with drills and maybe your walk is just the drills. Same with play. Um, If you aren't able to have it be productive, moving on to the advanced step without... um, a proper understanding of the game yet is just going to be detrimental to the whole idea of structured play. Um, yeah. Cause we, we want to slow them down. We want to create impulse control. And if, uh, if we aren't able to master the basics and we just go to like the exercise Millie does with Kemper, that's advanced. Like a, a dog with a lot of toy drive. The first time you do this exercise, you're not going to be having them wait next to you calmly and giving you eye contact while you throw the ball. That's going to, that's going to take some time to build up too. But that's also, 
I mean, we tell people all the time, don't turn it up to a hundred if, or don't let it get turned up to a hundred if you can't turn it back down to a zero, right? So don't, don't practice really intense play with your dog if you can't, um, okay, I, I had a couple that, um, every single night the dog thinks that when they walk upstairs to go to bed, it's time to play because that's just been a pattern that's been practiced forever. The dog gets really, really rude with the play and then it's, they, they can't turn it off. Right. Uh, and then now they're up late at night trying to tire this dog out playing with them. That's like the vicious cycle of it. But I mean, my advice was, okay, maybe do that three times out of every, you know, every week. Right. But not every single night, there should be more times than not that, you aren't initiating that play and that that's not an expectation the second that you walk upstairs. So don't, don't, if you can't control it, if you can't turn it off, then don't turn it on. But what you were saying, you know, what I do with Kemper, yes, it's something that I, I don't, I mean, I, I can teach pretty much anybody how to do that in, in a session, but that doesn't mean that it's going to go as smoothly as it did with Kemper because I did it so gradually with him, right? I taught him how important organic eye contact was since he came home with me, right? He had to look at me through thresholds. He had to look at me at when he came out of the crate, out of the car, uh, before dinner, you know, whatever. So all of those things, um, like the the impulse control around the ball, we worked on leave it when he was a puppy, like all of these little skills that we had worked on before all came together during that drill. Now that doesn't mean that you can, um, you can't do that drill without those skills, but it's a lot easier to make sure that you are on step one before you go to step 10. Same with tug. Yeah. You talk about tug. Cause I love the way that you do tug. I love the, it, like Easton's got this really cool way of working with like either our dog reactive dogs or our more um, shy dogs of getting them to loosen up with tug. And it's, I mean, I've seen just uh, complete switches in dogs after a productive play session with you. Yeah, that's it started with my personal dog because that was something we've always struggled with. Uh, our dog was just over arousal with tug specifically because different than fetch, which is like prey drive. When you're playing tug, you're asking them to bite onto something, hold onto something and then release it when you ask them to, which um, for Obi was always a huge challenge. It would quickly turn into I'd he wanted to play all the time. So as soon as he would have the object in his mouth, I couldn't get him to let it go. But when he would let it go on his own choice, he would then grab our, our shirts or our, like our pants, like whatever else he could get to tug. Pretty competitive. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Whatever else he could get his mouth on was now the game. Um, And it was very, very fun for him and not fun for us at all. (laughs) So we just kind of quit playing it because we couldn't control him at all. He's a, a decently big dog. Um, so it started with him and me kind of trying to find a way that I, after learning, uh, about productive play and learning about tug, taking it home with my dog, um, and kind of finding out how, how much it translates to dogs with like reactivity and just in general, those kind of like over arousal issues. Um, if you can use a game like tug to kind of teach them when it's, when it's okay to be that intense and when they really need to turn it off, um, it helps so much. So I, I use it a lot with, uh, when I have day trains with really dog reactive dogs, sometimes like before I even take them into the room of the other dogs, I'll play a game of structured tug with them um, one-on-one and just kind of build a relationship and build um, a basically a concept and a rule of like, okay, I'm allowing you to turn it on, but I'm also telling you when to turn it off. And it's the same idea. I start super small. So especially with a dog, I don't know super well. I'm not going to just give them something to tug and go a hundred percent because we have to start yeah. with like the bare the bare minimums basically like bite it. I ask you to drop it. You drop it. Maybe we will do a lap around it while it's on the floor. Um, but building up to the ability to actually play the full game of tug. But it's also like you're they're learning so much while also realizing this is fun. It's not. Yeah, it's not that serious. Yeah, yeah. Like you're not in trouble. It sets mm-hmm. you up to like be able to truly. We talk all the time about giving direction over correction. That, I mean, a lot of times, if there's any exercise that uh, people do with dogs that most of the time they get a correction over direction, it's play because we take it so far and then we end up having to correct our dog mm-hmm. or just quitting the game because we didn't really address it when it got smaller. So mm-hmm. like Kemper is big on tug. Whenever we play tug, I've got two rules, my, my two big rules. Um, I guess I have three rules. One, you drop it when I say to drop it. Two, you can never jump on me. The game stops 
not completely stops, but I will always address it when I feel paws on me. And then three, I will always address it when I feel teeth on me. I don't care if it's an accident or not. I plan on having kids one day. It can't, that can't have an accident, right? So even if he accidentally bites my hand instead of the toy, I always address it. He's not in trouble. It's just, hey, slow back down. That's me, not the toy. And so we calm back down. I move into him using spatial pressure or a leash or in my e-collar pressure. If I, whatever it, your dog is conditioned to make sure I get eye contact and then invite again. But I think another big thing with all productive play, the human initiates it. It's really difficult to turn product, a, a play session productive. If it starts by your dog nosing a toy into you, that's not, that, that's your dog giving you a command and you obeying. And you know, with starting the, if your dog do does start that and you're, do you just not engage if they start playing with you? You just give them direction or give them some leash pressure or spatial pressure and then you start it on your terms, basically. Yeah, I think it's, to me, I would respond differently based on, on how that dog is initiating. I, I don't think that I would ever... Um, I don't know. There might be a time if the dog's super polite, right? And just kind of playing by itself and then comes up to me and then goes back and plays by itself. Yeah. I might go over and initiate some play with them or, you know, even though it was their idea. But I mean, if the dog's nosing a treat or a, a toy into me and like being really, really pushy, I'm going to get up and move into them and tell them to go um, or go to place if, uh, if go isn't clear enough for them. Um, and then we're not going to play until the dog is calmed all the way down. Now, if the dog is coming up to me and maybe just kind of sitting there, maybe whining a little bit, I might say, Hey, go to place. And then when the dog goes to place for a short period of time, five minutes or whatever, then I might get up and initiate because they weren't that rude with their, their, their way of initiating. It just depends. Right? So if the dog's crazy rude with it, we're not playing for a little while. Cause that's, that's the way play is going to start. It's going to start rude if that's how you initiated it, if that's how you asked me to start. Yeah, I think, too, uh, something that I always advocate for and suggest when when you're coming to us and kind of trying to improve your relationship, I typically suggest that toys aren't just left out anyway. Um, so we kind of avoid that interaction. Um, if you're keeping toys up and then you're offering them at certain times, it kind of sets it up to where you're always the one initiating. And you make the toys fun. That's yeah. like the thing that we, um, we try to get people to do. It's different when it's like a chew bone, right? But if it's a, you know, a ball or your, something your dog wants you to throw or a tug toy or a squeaky toy, whatever it is, you should be the thing that makes that thing fun. That there should not be access to that thing, whatever it is, unless you are around because that's a cooperative toy. I mean, you can turn you know, what you were talking about with tug, a, a very uh, initially competitive game into actually a really cooperative, collaborative game. Uh, if you're asking the right things and you're initiating it and you're taking it slow, uh, you're addressing smaller things, it can be this really huge relationship builder because, I mean, at the end of it, you can have the dog win the tug toy. You can win the tug toy sometimes, but it's a matter of there are, are certain things that while you're doing this with me, I will not accept. The problem is though, is that people just do it to, I mean, get their dogs tired and it normally creates a monster and a neurotic kind of mindset around toys. Yeah. That was my problem with Max. So <laughs> now he's gotten, he's gotten so much better with that. Um, just because like you said, we, I try to take away his favorite toy, which is a Kong, um, and put it away until we're ready to do it the right way. And, you know, it makes a big difference, especially when you, you actually put all of the toys away and your dogs don't have access to that all the time, because that used to be our thing. Like even here, we used to have toys all over. Um, but yeah, initiating the play the right way, especially with my, crazy toy driven dog max he's about 70 pounds <laughs> yep. it made all the difference in our relationship now you also mentioned here on the on the notes of the podcast the structure sandwich for hiking mm. what does that mean and can you go more into that yeah it's one of the most frustrating things that i do to myself um <laughs> whenever i take so kemper is um <sighs> what would you say? 90% off leash, right? He's not a hundred percent by any means, but 90% absolutely. If Magnolia is there, he's 99% off leash <laughs> trained, but to come back to Magnolia, not to me. Um, but 
I always start whenever I take my dogs to a new place, any, any new place, whether it's a hike or a park or whatever, I always start with structure. So I start with a, a pretty short lead, loose lead still. Um, and I ask them to walk right by my side until we can get my, you know, a nice little uh, groove where you are walking by my side or walking together. I'm not letting you go out and start you know, sniffing around. Now, the second that we are in a, a little bit of a groove and it's different based on where your dog's at um, training wise, right? A groove for Brick looks a lot different than a groove for Kemper. Um, I have higher expectations of him because he's older. Um, but as soon as that happens, then I start allowing them, I'll kind of give them either a release word or I just change my body language, give them the whole leash and I let them start smelling around. But even when I'm giving them the whole leash, even if I'm okay with them going in front of me, I'm still not allowing them to put pressure on the lead. There's never going to be a time where they're allowed to create pressure. And then I yield to that pressure by continue walk, con continuing to walk. Um, but they're also not allowed to like, go back and forth and trip me up and things like that. We have to still stay on like the same path kind of thing. Um, but there's definitely a lot more leeway. And then we end with um, structure again. So we always end with uh, having them walk by my side because I want to go back to the car like that most often. So then that way, when we go again, that's their last memory of being at that space is being um, walking with me, not doing their own thing. Got it. So you you call that the structure sandwich because you start with structure, then you kind of have that freedom in the middle that was started the right way, and then you end it with structure again. And that's yep. specific to hiking or even going new places, right? You always do it the same way. Like if you're going over a friend's house or a family member, would you do it the same way? Like start with structure, yeah. lead them a little bit, end it with structure. Now, and that's what we do with, I mean, that's exactly what we were talking about sort of with um, tug and fetch and all of that, right? So we, um, I think one of the questions that um, I think that's on there is how do you end a structured play session? And I always end it with making sure that um, whatever toy we're playing with, whatever we're doing is on the ground. And that dog understands that we're done. We're finished. We're not going up. I'm not, you know, whether or not I pick it up or whatever, we're finished. Um, uh, so that can be a leave it command. You can even use a different word for when you're finished and just say finished. Um, and making sure that there's an understanding that now you can't go and get this thing. Um, so we start with structure, we end with structure. Now I think a lot of people though, the problem is, is that a lot of people aren't going to find that groove when, um, when they're starting their first half of the structure sandwich. Um, so they're not ever going to get a dog um, at least for a couple times that'll walk right next to them in a new place. To me, then you don't allow the freedom until that's the association. So kind of like with Max, I told you, you know, um, I think you asked me this a long time ago um, with his Kong ball. Well, when can we play? And I said, he, we can start and initiate play as soon as he can be respectful around it. As soon as he can ignore it. If you, if you've got 20 minutes to work with him, you don't just do five minutes of impulse control that he's struggling through and he's completely blowing you off and then start playing with him because you've only got 15 minutes left. That whole 20 minutes should be dedicated now to completely ignoring the thing. You don't, we don't play with it then. Does that make sense? It's like yeah. people think, well, I did the structure, but I didn't get a response. So now it's time for the play. We've got to get the response first. Exactly what Easton said about like Kemper with the fetch. It takes time. So the first couple of times that I did this with Kemper, I mean, anything with Kemper, it was rough. And until I created the association, then as soon as I started seeing, okay, we're clicking here. Now you can have some freedom. Now we can kind of take things up to the next level and turn the volume up a little bit. But it wasn't until I was able to make sure we were at a zero and we could stay at a zero when I, for as long as I wanted to be at one. <laughs> Yeah. It's all about having the results first and not worry so much about timing, right? Like I have 10 minutes to, to do structure, right. 10 minutes to play, 10 minutes to end. Like you have to get the response. You have to get the results first. Then you move it to the, to the next part. If you have time, I guess, if you're on a time schedule. Um, but that it's a was, marathon. It's not yeah. a sprint. Like people, you have the whole life of your dog to do this. Like it, even if you don't play today, even if you don't play the game that you want to play this week, you've got years with your dog years. Yeah. Yeah. And then you also made a note here, and this is pretty big is taking a loop around the dog park and doing leash drills and starting off there first, if you're going to walk into any areas, right? So 
Um, this, I'll tell you this, so you guys can even tell me some some uh, tips Uh-oh. for this. <laughs> uh, this Friday, this up in a few days, um, Max was invited to a puppy party. <laughs> <laughs> So one of our friends, her dog is having a birthday party and it's going to be at her house in her yard. So it's only going to be the dogs that like we know, right? Or like friends and stuff. So I'm taking Max. I mean, I have seven dogs and out of all the seven, I'm like, okay, we'll do Max because I think Mm -hmm. he's more manageable and he is a social butterfly. Like he likes to be around other dogs. Like he likes to, he's more neutral, you know, and we've been Mm -hmm. doing this for a while. uh, Max has been going to day camp. He's a green, so he's not actually mm-hmm. green, but he's on the green <laughs> chart. So he's the good, he's the, the easier, one of the easier dogs to manage at camp. Yep. And I'm thinking about it this whole time. I'm like, man, this is going to be a good episode for me because I'm going to have to prepare Max to enter mm-hmm. that backyard the right way so he doesn't turn into a T-Rex. <laughs> yes. Now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> If in that situation, I would be looking at, at the risk of, okay, at that situation, I would be looking at who, who is my dog going to be around, right? So are, are the other dogs at that, at that party going to be a good or bad influence on my dog? And I know that that sounds kind of ridiculous, but dogs learn from each other. Um, I, have told uh, many of my husband's friends over the years that no, I would not be bringing my dog with them to dinner or whatever to meet their dog because I didn't know their dog. Right. So, and I knew that they were going to want to play. I knew that I, I wanted to make sure that my dog grew up with um, being around dogs that had a positive influence on him. So gave him rules and boundaries, made sure that he understood that he couldn't go uh, and take it to the next level. You know, if, if it wasn't invited. So I think, if that does go haywire, which I think, uh, why wouldn't it, right? A little bit. Um, then, then I don't know that that would be entirely Max's fault. That would just be the energy of the pack that you are in. But yes, I mean, you can do your, you can do it. Absolutely. Walk them around the parking lot a little bit or walking around um, the go on a walk before whatever you need to do, have him wear his e-caller. So you've got to at least recall and you can um, call him back to you. Maybe doing recall. Like if that's a skill you need at that in that moment, do some recall drills before um, do five minutes of recall drills a day with him until up until Saturday. You said Saturday. Friday. Friday, Friday. Okay. So we've got two days. <laughs> um, but up until then, like, you know, make sure that you are practicing the skill that you feel like or is you're going to need. And, and most of the time it's recall. Um, and then hopefully in that situation, it'll click for him, even though it's probably <laughs> going to be a lot. Um, but you can also just say like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to actually spend the first 30 minutes of this with Max on a leash next to me. So until yeah. he's calm, I'm not letting him off of a leash to play. Right. Right. Yeah. I suggest what, what, that a lot for other people. That was also my um, next question is like, just keeping him on the leash until I can sense that he's ready to go out and meet the dogs. That's not going to be overwhelming for him, right? If I have him on the leash, maybe the other dogs are off leash. Should I be using spatial pressure to keep the other dogs away? Okay. Yep. Not because he's going to be overwhelmed, but because he's going to want to party. Right. And I want to change your verbiage from, until he's ready to play to until he's calm, right? Mm-hmm. So until he's ideally not thinking about going out and partying with them. And then the way that you're going to release him is by taking his leash off, holding onto his collar. Uh, and then I want, I, I want it to be something where you're walking away from him. You're not releasing, you know, taking his leash off and he's bolting away from you. You take his leash off and you, you walk the other way, right? You okay. walk away from him, not him releasing himself from you. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, there's structured play is hard when you are around other dogs that don't have that same skill set or aren't working on that same skill set. Right. I mean, I just want Max to be a good example, right? I know. Like Max, yeah, and you can even just like you got to represent. To me, it's less about the dog being a good example and like 
you would be the good example yeah. in that moment, right? Of just being, you know, being like, yeah, I know it's weird for me to keep my dog on a leash for the first 30 minutes of this, but mm-hmm. I'm going to do that because I want to make sure that he associates this new space and this new environment with calm. I want to make sure I'm relevant in this situation. You, he doesn't have to be the example. You, you are in that moment. Just even if you do that, even if he goes crazy, you are still the example in that moment. And that's what I wish a lot of people would, would do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with this idea of the puppy party, I guess it's, (laughs) it sounds, I've never, you know, gotten a a group of friends together and we got our, our dogs together. Um, so it's going to be interesting. So I was like, man, I really got to prepare for this. (laughs) I got to make sure that I have my ducks in a row that I know exactly (laughs) what to do. I'm ready to respond. I'm ready to be on guard because we now, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. We'll see what happens. I'll talk about it in the next podcast. And we'll we'll catch okay. up. <laughs> or she's going to be like texting me videos the whole time of like, should I just leave? Should I just go home? <laughs> well, good thing is, is, you know, Max is a pretty smart dog and he listens, like he, he wants he does, direction. Yeah. He takes it really well. Yeah. Um, you know, he's proven himself over and over at day camp that yep. he's really capable of listening, of following through with direction. So I think it's going to be a good, you know, he's going to do great. Yeah. He's going to do good. Um, so we'll go into also a, the questions. I think like we can just go ahead and jump on that because it's going to create some more conversations around this topic. Now, um, how much time a day should be spent on structure play? Does it need to be with you specifically? So dog and owner, or can it be somebody else like the dog walker or the friend? What would you guys say? Do you want to do it? Do you want to answer that one? Eastern? Uh, I mean, I've, I guess my answer is ideally it would be with you. Cause again, it's, it's a relationship builder. Uh, anyone, your dog walker, your date, like we go, we do it at day camp a lot for uh, clients' dogs. It's good for anyone to practice with your dog. But if it's a skill that you want to be able to kind of fine tune and have with your dog, it's going to be the most important that you're on the same page um, about it as well. And then as far as like how often to, how long to spend each day on it, I, I mean... I w- wouldn't spend more than like probably, I don't know, 30 minutes on it. Um, even broken up into two yeah, it's a couple smaller yeah. sessions. Yeah. Cause we want like, obviously if we're trying to create like a balanced and calmer dog, um, we want the majority of our day being spent working on those skills over um, kind of fine tuning structured play. Yeah. And I always crate the dog after we do the play session. So a lot of people go 15 minutes is nothing, right? My dog could play fetch for an hour, but most of the time when you are doing, when you're adding structure to that play, your dog is learning and and using their brain so much more than they would be just going, okay, go, I'm going to go get the ball, bring it back, get the ball, bring it back. Adding structure to that creates a whole other level. So make sure that you are keeping your sessions short so that you're not uh, overworking your dog, ending on a positive note with every single time that you do it. So um, as positive as you can be, I tend to push it too far. So I know that like I'll get to a, a peak moment where the dog it's clicking and then I'll want to do that over and over and over again. And then the dog start, stops doing as well because it's just toast. Um, but then you have to just make sure that you clean it up as much as you can end on a good note then crate them after, have them process that information because it was a lot for them, even if it doesn't seem like it, it was. Got it. And this other one here, it says, if they run and get a toy when you ask them to wait, how do you correct that? Uh, ideally, the leash is on during all of this too, especially at the beginning. Um, that way you can enforce anything you're asking and kind of provide some clear communication through all of it. Um, but if you mean like if they go grab a toy, can you repeat the question? It's if they're grabbing a toy and bringing it to you or if like during the game, if they go to grab it when you've asked them to wait. Yeah. So I guess during if you're playing with your dog mm-hmm. and you throw the toy and you mm-hmm. ask them to wait, but they ignore they, that they break pull, it break it oh yeah they're pulled the yeah. leash out of your hand and they go crazy and grab it how do you correct that so and i would even say like do you end it there do you redo that whole thing like how would you do it 
Yeah, I usually just reset it up. Um, so I'll just like grab the leash again, go pick him up, go pick the toy up, whatever game you're playing. Um, and just maybe realize, okay, that was like a step farther than, than we're ready for and start smaller from there. It's, uh, sounds like maybe leave it would be like a good exercise for a dog that's struggling with something like that too. Like Millie mentioned, having it on the floor, kind of walking around it and using leave it and leash pressure, um, starting there. Got it. Yeah. So it's, it's all like, we've been saying this in this podcast, I feel like multiple times is if your dog can't handle the next step, go back, right? Always go back, start small, um, build up to the, the, to the level where you want to be, because that play style, specifically the one that Millie was talking about, where you throw the ball, the dog is able to stay next to you and then go and get the toy that's something you have to build up to. You can't just grab your dog. I mean, I have big dogs, like I have 50 to 80 pound dogs. And if I throw the toy and we're not prepared for that, even if I had the, the leash on my hand and I'm trying to hold mm-hmm. them, they're going to yank themselves out of my arm. Like they're just going to go. That leash is not <laughs> going to be any, you know, it's not going to be really a good way to reinforce that stay if we've never worked on anything other than. Um, what we're doing, just if I ask them to throw the ball and stay next to me, they're not going to understand that. It's going to be confusing. And build yeah. frustration too. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And I think a lot of times though, people think um, it, it's got to be perfect from the very beginning. It's always messy at first. So it, to me, like I think the reason that Easton got confused when she heard the question is, every dog is going to go and get the toy when, you know, when it's on the ground at first, because they don't know the rule. So just, and that's why we make sure that there is a leash on. That's why we make sure that we're ready for that. It's not necessarily always to prevent it, but to address it. So don't get discouraged if, if it's messy the first couple Mm -hmm. times you do it. And that's another reason we like to kind of have things start small, because if you, if you go into it with a really big goal and you are at 15 minutes and you couldn't even get past step one, you tend to get frustrated not only with yourself, but with the dog as well. Start small, go into just like every single day of, can I do five minutes of work with my dog's favorite toy on the floor? And can we walk around it and past it and over it and, you know, do crisscross. And then, you know, can I ask my dog to sit somewhere behind me and pick up the toy and put the toy back down? tiny things like that before you even go into, uh, you know, what you want that exercise or that drill to look like a year from now, start small, build the skills so that you don't, um, you don't get frustrated, but it's going to be messy at first. And be okay with that because that's how you grow. It, It doesn't always look super clean and super neat at first, but you have to start somewhere. No, I mean, I tell people all the time, like you have to be to do, to be in this business and to do anything with dogs. You have to be really comfortable being uh, having a dog make a fool out of you, right? So, like, there are things that I could do um, very easily with one dog that another dog is going to make me look like I've never worked a day in my life with dogs. Just you start smaller, right? And and you can start at different places depending on the dog. You might have multiple dogs that one is really, really picks up on things really quick. The other one, you can't get past, just leave it. Fine. Then you work there. It's going to be different based on the dog and your relationship with them and their drive. Awesome. And now this question um, that came in says, beside fetch and tug, what other ways can we play with our dogs? So, I mean, I guess... Right. Like there, I, I feel like everything is product is productive for them. Like even practicing, uh, leave it and stay and all of these things that we've been talking about. That's a good way to play right with your dog. Cause our whole goal when we're playing is to work them and tire them out and, and, you know, yeah. stimulate them. I feel right? like, um, it's different for the, each dog, you know, like, um, Kemper loves to do obedient stuff. So sometimes my, quote unquote playing with him is just teaching him different drills. Like um, right now <laughs> I always say he's got two brain cells, but I am teaching him the difference between right and left and he's understanding it. Um, so right now we're learning what it looks like to be on my right side, what it looks like to be on my left side um, to, you know, down middle, we're learning ballerina twirl and we're calling it ballerina twirl so <laughs> that I can hear my husband ask the dog to say, you know, to do ballerina twirl. Um, so it's, you know, it depends on the dog. Every dog is different and, and enjoys something different. I think 
um, you know, frisbee for some dogs are they're going to prefer frisbee over the ball. Some dogs are going to prefer tug over the like over fetch. Um, hide and know, seek. I have a lot yeah, of clients that seek. play hide and seek in the house with their dog, like nose driven games. That's yeah, yeah. like. And it just depends. There are some dogs that aren't going to have the drive to do any of that, right? And and affection to them is a nice, calm walk or a hike or whatever. But every dog, um, uh, Liz Foley, um, the from your favorite dog trainer, is had these. Um, it was like cards, I think, of um, your dog's love language. So if your dog really liked food or, you know, if your dog likes affection or play, but every di- every dog not only has a different love language of things that they enjoy, but a different play style as well. And that's okay. Now, this one here says, how um, tips for structure play with a leash on? I worry about them potentially getting hurt. So if you're leaving the leash on your dog while they're playing, is that what I think this is what they're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're, uh, we kind of have been repeating this a lot, but just like (laughs) the idea of not letting it get so intense right at first. Um, So especially if that, if that's a concern, it sounds like maybe intensity level is also a concern. Um, uh, So I would, yeah, I'd start, start small. Um, You need the leash at first. So I think it's a necessary part of the step um, and kind of a layer that you down the road can peel off. But um, starting out, yeah, starting out, you need that kind of enforcer and that that line of communication. And once again, to repeat the same thing, starting small, building up your steps and making sure that you have these skills. If your dog does not understand a slip lead and what pressure and release is, or you don't have a really good understanding of pressure and release um, outside of you know, uh, at least your regular leash walk, then those are things that you need to be working on um, outside of a very intense situation. So mm-hmm. having your dog go up and down stairs with you and using really like tiny increments of pressure and release to make sure that your dog is on that same step with you each time. Those are little games that you can play too um, that are working towards having a skill set that allows you to take it to a more intense level. Um, but I mean, yeah, if your your dog is going to get hurt, absolutely. If you do not understand pressure and release, your dog does not understand the slip lead and your dog immediately goes crazy intense with um, with any toy. Absolutely. But that's why we always say break it down because it's not fair otherwise. Yeah. And I, I like that you guys do this at day camp too, is you always talk about you they were on a drop lead, right? When they were in, in the camp. So you always leave a lead on, but if the dog worked their way up to that calm level where you want them to be, you eventually drop the lead and they have their, you know, they have their leash on, but it's, it's calm. They're not just running around, um, jumping on top of each other and, you know, they're going to get themselves tangled in that leash. It's, you got them to that calmness level where you want them to be. And you created that, um, you know, they know what you're you're asking from them. So they know that it's, expectation. It's also supervised, right? So there are right. plenty of dogs playing with drop lead. Like this morning, Brick and um, Luna were playing drop lead and they were wrapping themselves up in each other's lead. But I was standing right there, right? I was I was working on recall drills with Brick and I was unwrapping them as it, as it happened. <laughs> um, so yes, I mean, there are uh, lots of dogs walking around drop lead and some of them are more intense playing, but that's normally three to four humans in that room with 20 dogs, 20 to 25 dogs, making sure that everybody is safe um, and making sure that nobody is wrapping each other up in leads um, or stuck on something, whatever it is. So safety is absolutely a concern, but all of these dogs too also have a very good understanding. And if they don't, they're, they're not drop lead, a very good understanding of pressure and release. And every person in that room that would pick up the leash understands how to use pressure and release. Awesome. And now this last question says tips for utilizing the flirt pole correctly. Yeah, What's Easton. A flirt pole. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> a flirt pole. It's I'm so. Saying. It's like. <laughs> go ahead. Do you want to go? Ahead? You go ahead. Oh, a flirt no, pole. A flirt pole is. I didn't do anything to your dog. He did it to himself. But a flirt <laughs> pole is essentially. It's like think of like a cat toy, like one of the wand cat toys, um, but it's made for dogs. So it's like a a long a long pole with a string attached to it, and then usually some sort of like uh, toy on the end. Some some of them have like a look like a rope on the end some of them have like a little tug toy or like a little like squeaky toy on the end um but it's basically designed to kind of use as like a lure um and get your dog to chase and uh, kind of practice on that prey drive um it's 
definitely it's not for beginner exercises for uh, productive play because it's with dogs that have high prey drive it is so it's super exciting and super intense so kemper is one of those dogs yeah um (laughs) kemper uh threw his entire body into a wall um uh, like six uh, like six feet in the air too (laughs) i have a video of it and we can post it um when we post the episode i'll send it to you um it was i think i was sick or you picked him up for a session or something and yeah it was a a saturday it was a saturday yeah, I got a call yeah. saying, um, you know, Kemper might have some brain damage, but <laughs> even more so. Uh, but he seems okay. He, I mean, flew into the wall. And then because, I mean, Kemper is one of the more drivey dog, dogs I've ever owned. Um, he uh, came off the wall, <laughs> immediately went back for the toy. Right? Yeah, like, no, it didn't register at all. <laughs> he has... Um, and that's, I think, why I, I've spent so much time structuring the um, the play with him is because the boy has drive. He will go. He will work for a flirt pole. He will work for food. He will work for um, for a ball. He'll work for a tug toy. He loves to be at that intense mindset. Um, and I think that that's you know the pity in him. That's the hound in him. Um, you know, I think that's not a, a negative by any means. It's it's a negative the second I can't control it the second that I'm just letting him be rude with that intensity and letting him practice it in a neurotic way. So if you have a dog who is very driven by these things, there really shouldn't be a time where you're playing with them and there's just no rules. It's just a party. That's dangerous, especially if it's a large breed dog. Um, Make sure even if you're asking something small of them or you're taking things step by step, you are adding, um, structure into your play boundaries, uh, making sure that your dog is still being respectful as they're being excited. But with the flirt pole, I think the bigger thing that we work on is impulse control. So mm-hmm. we'll make sure that same with the, um, the, um, the fetch exercise, we'll make sure that while we are uh, moving the flirt pole, the dog can't get it until we say uh, to get it. Uh, most of the time that's obviously using a leash uh, or ha- leash in one hand, flirt pole in the other, moving the flirt pole around, asking them to wait, then telling them they can go and get it, moving the flirt pole, trying to get them to chase it. Right. Um, and then when they get it, we're moving in asking them to drop it. But this is another tip for, or just one little tip for productive play. If you are doing some sort of, I guess, whatever it is, tug, fetch, flirt, pull, doesn't matter. If your dog, um, if the goal of the game is to, is for the dog to obtain the item, or at least in your dog's mind, that's their goal. Make sure that you are that when they obtain the item, you're not immediately asking for a drop it. You're going, good boy. Yes, you got it. Like celebrating a little bit because then what will happen if you don't, if you immediately, you know, your dog gets it immediately ask for drop it. Your dog's not going to come to you with the item. Your dog's going to be like, okay, now she's going to take it away from me. So make sure that you're taking your time of like, yes, good boy. You can keep this item for five, 10 seconds. Now drop it. Um, I just see that happening a lot in uh, people's play sessions. Yeah. Well, I feel like today we covered a a whole lot of information. Do you guys want to add anything else? I don't think so. Yeah. Mm -mm. Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like this is, this was a really good episode because, you know, the main goal for every dog owner is that you want your dog to have a good time. You want to see them happy. You want them to see them, you know, excited running. You want to tire them out. I can't tell you how many adoption profiles I read that it says the dog needs a fenced yard. The dog needs this, the dog needs that. And it's, it's just a lack of productive play. It's a lack of relationship building. And like you guys repeat over and over, it it all starts small. It's important to start small and build your way up. Um, Having your dog off leash in a fenced yard is a, you know, it's something that you have to work up to, even if it's the backyard of your own house. You have to work up to that level where you and your dog have that relationship where they're off leash, they're coming back to you, they're dropping the toy, you're having a conversation. And we always touch on this is whenever you are with your dog, no matter if you're going on a walk, you're inside the house, you're constantly having conversations with your dog. So it's important to remind yourselves that even in the smallest interactions, that's a conversation. That's a, a step that you're taking on your relationship. Either it's going to be a step forward or a step backwards. So, um, you know, productive play is one of those things where it you have to work your way up 
you start small. You, um, once you graduate that step, you go on to the next one and you keep going until you get to where you want to be. If you are having trouble with it, though, find a trainer. Like we say, for everything else, we've done entire sessions on teaching somebody how to play productively with their dog. So this isn't, don't think that just because it's play, it's not something that a trainer could help you with because they absolutely can. Um, so if, if, if it's something that gets too intense or, you know, something that you don't know how to work on it, hire a trainer and say, I want to teach my dog how to do whatever it is, wait for the ball, you know, be more respectful during play. Or can you give me more ideas of how to play with some structure with my dog? A lot of trainers are going to eat that up. That's one of our favorite things to work on. And the good thing too is um, Mirror Image also offers virtual sessions. And I think that's helpful because a lot of our fosters, we get them connected with it with their team and they talk over the phone, they do video calls, and that helps a ton. It just takes mm-hmm. that one call, that one piece of information that you might be missing from that interaction you're having with your dog that then everything clicks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, try to go over to their website too if you want to start there, if you're listening to this podcast. And, you know, always look for a trainer that understands what you're asking from them. They are able to listen to you, listen to your problem. They just don't have a recipe-based training. I think that's pretty big especially it was for me. Um, so if you go over to mirror image canine.com, you can go on the contacts tab, right? And then from there mm-hmm. you can fill out the contact form. So mm-hmm. highly recommend it. I mean, that is a huge piece of our rescue program is being able to work one-on-one with a trainer because every single foster, they have a question. There is one thing that's not clicking. Then they get on the phone, they talk to them and then everything clicks. That relationship starts Sometimes, growing. Hopefully. Sometimes, yeah. But a lot of times it's one of those things where they talk to you guys and then they're telling me, wow, it makes everything makes so much sense now. Well, now he's able to stay in his crate a lot better. You know, now he's understanding what place means. Like we're, we're moving past those things where we're, we thought we would, we would never pass, you know, because the fosters for us, they play a big role in that dog's life and they're giving me information and they're saying, Maybe he's gonna need a house with a yard. Like I yeah, heard that's that hard too. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Easton's last foster, we wanted to call him Backpack, but then his foster <laughs> named him Ozzy, so we had to keep Ozzy. I'm, you know, I'm going to. The, I'm gonna name a dog Backpack. I don't care. Like there's going the next dog that we get in will be named Backpack. I don't know. I don't know why it's fine. I just really want to name He looks like a backpack he though. Like, not a yeah. physical backpack. He looks like his name should be a backpack. Yeah. It should be. But you know, yeah. I, we let his fosters name him and they chose Ozzy. Mm-hmm. And that created a lot of funny conversations all around from calling vet <laughs> appointments. to Especially when Ozzy got neutered. <laughs> yeah, so when I, I took neutered. him to the vet and they, they said, is he named after the foundation? And I was like... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm calling to make a neuter appointment for Ozzy from Ozzy Albee <laughs> Foundation. Um, but yeah, so he was just a little rocket. Like he would just take off. He would never stand still. His initial fosters, they um, were with him in a really crucial time. So he was, he had kennel cough and he had an eye infection. Then they did such a good job with him. They did. And he was just health wise. He was, they were just focused on his health. But one of the things that they told me is that, you know, I feel like he's going to need a yard. He's going to need to run. He's going to need to burn off this energy because it's never ending. And that when I told the team that, you know, thankfully Easton was able to stay with him for some time. And that changed him so much because he started to understand leash pressure. He started to understand what it was to ask to stay next to you, then get the toys. So there was a lot of productive play while Easton was with him. And all of these things, this little dog that his, the people that spent so much time with him, his fosters were thinking he will only be able to get adopted mm-hmm. if this family has a yard and he needs to be fenced and it needs to be puppy proof and all these things. He can now go into any kind of home. I mean, he mm-hmm. can go into a home in a, a condo. He can go into any kind of environment because it's going to be up to his human, right? So mm-hmm. we, we do a, we really take our time to match our dogs with the right families and matching him with someone that understands the structure and understands what he needs because one thing a hyperactive dog does not need is more activity, right? Is getting more. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he knew. He didn't know that I had a fenced-in backyard the time I had him. He was like, "Weird, I'm always on a leash. I don't know why." Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> but he's he well hopefully next time i can give you guys an update and it's going to be a good one for him because right now mm-hmm. he's doing a foster to adopt trial and it's a great potential um adopter so we're pretty excited seriously about that. yeah yeah so if you have any questions for us feel free to go to mirrorimagek9.com they have a tab for the podcast. That's the best way to do it. You can drop your questions right there. You can access the podcast. You can go to the YouTube channel. You can go to our Instagram. Everything's there. And if you love listening to the podcast, please feel free to leave us a review. We love to read your reviews and it helps us keep going. So thank you so much for joining us today. And don't forget. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot. I forgot. Practice I don't makes know. Progress. Okay. I didn't <laughs> yeah. know what it was going to be. Yeah. Oh, I get all to right. say anything I want. I'm going to just do something different every time now. Yeah. All right. We, we could do that. We have a new setup. It's a new, you know, it's a new setup. I'm just going to say like random that. words at the end of every episode. <laughs> Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Think Like a Dog Podcast and follow at Mirror Image Canine for training tips. If you have any questions, please reach out to us via email at info at thinklikeadogpodcast.com.